This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the House of Bad. Oh, yeah. That's a good Axel Rose, end of November rain. I could do a decent rock star scream, but I don't want to um, wake the no, neighbors. my ears. I am Kabe. I'm Lizzie. Uh, welcome to the House of Pod, everyone. Um, we're a show, uh, in case you've never heard of us before, that does medical type stuff with medical type people. Sometimes we talk about mm-hmm. medical type stuff and sometimes other stuff. Does that explain it? I hope so. <laughs> Lizzie, how are you? I'm good. I thought we were going to skip a who we are and what we are, but I like it. I like it. Bring it back. It's a little retro now. Um, I want to tell you what happened at work today and I want to hear your thoughts about it and what you would do in my position. So, so the vaccine is here in America. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm talking about the vaccine for COVID. <laughs> <laughs> we have other vaccines too. That's true. It's good that you specify. Right, right. right. And um, I was doing colonoscopies. Two nurses were in the room with me. Someone walked in and goes, hey, everyone, make sure you let the nurse manager, the, you know, the person in charge know if you're interested in getting a vaccine. So, so then people start talking about it. And at least two people I work with just today, one day in a small sample size, were like, hmm. I don't think I'm going to get it. And, and these are nurses that I work with and we're doing procedures and we're very close to patients. We're not frontline. We're not everyone that we scope has been tested for COVID unless it's a terrible emergency, which honestly is not that common. We can always wait a few hours, right? In GI. So I, I said, and I want to know what you think of this. And if you agree, I said, you know what? We'll call her Jennifer. If you don't mind, do you, can you not say out loud <laughs> that you don't want the vaccine. Um, can we t- think of it like voting for the president? You know, like not everybody says 
who they want to vote and who they don't want to vote for. I mean, I, maybe this election was made a little bit different, but I think of a lot of people in the Bay Area, if they were going to vote for Trump, they weren't that vocal about it. I said, think of it like that. Like, I think our job as healthcare workers is to say, oh my God, I'm so grateful we have the opportunity to get the vaccine. Of course, I'm going to get it. Even if you're not going to get it. And, and she took it really well. It was a very polite conversation. I said, do you mind? Like, I just think our job as healthcare workers, as nurses and doctors is to kind of spread the gospel of yes. And then on your own personal time and your own personal decision, say no, if that's what you feel. So, so what do you, what do you think about that encounter? Do you think um, I'm about to get called into HR is really the question I have for you. Uh, I think you handled that better than I probably would have. Um, <laughs> actually, I'm glad that you brought this subject up because this is essentially what I want to talk about in our yeah. opening segment too, because I am terrified the the fact that people are not going to be taking the vaccine right. because just like you said, there's a good proportion of people out there who are on the fence about it right now. Maybe they'll change their mind. Maybe once the data becomes a little more clear, that's reasonable. It's a new thing. I think a lot of people are warming up to it. I think a lot of people are starting to, to see, oh, well, the medical community has no political bend in this vaccine issue. They think the vaccine is safe. I should do it. And I, and I think that will affect some of these people that are on the fence. But right. there's still a large portion of people that are not. And I have talked to people in the medical community who don't think they're going to get it. And it blows my mind. Right. I think you handled that very diplomatically. I'm not sure if I would. I think most doctors I talk to seem excited about it. Every totally. ER doctor, yeah. every ICU doctor, yeah, they seem stoked about it. I am super stoked about it. It can't come yeah. fast enough. I yeah. want it now. I'm yeah. going to be so pissed off if I get COVID <laughs> like a week before the vaccine is <laughs> available to me. Because, you know, most of the patients we do um, interact with have been screened, but a lot of people I see are not. Right. I work in inpatient a lot. I work with a lot of sick people. They come in for emergency procedures. I do a lot of emergency cases and sick people, sometimes on patients with COVID. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know. And right. terrifying. No amount of protective equipment makes you feel better when you're doing an aerosolizing procedure on somebody with COVID. Right. It's fucking terrifying. So <laughs> I am going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to eat the vaccine. I don't know if I'm even <laughs> going to take it as a shot. I am going to take right. so much of this vaccine. I'm going to right. vaccine so hard. It's so I'm gonna, hard. I'm going to vaccine right. this so right. hard. A different nurse I work with today was like, you know, we were having the same conversation. He's like, I'll take the vaccine in my eyeball. Do it with whatever you, <laughs> wherever you need it is how I'll get it. And he was, he's like, he's a listener, um, Jeff, shout out. And, um, you know, I just, I appreciate that. And I think our job is to normalize it. And Totally. And it is like politics. If you decided you're not going to take the vaccine, I'm, I'm old enough and I've lived long enough. I realize that I can't necessarily change your mind. So that's not the fight I want to fight. I want to fight with you. And I'm not. And this, again, this woman was super nice about it. But I just think let's spread the gospel of normalcy yeah. and of positivity. Yeah. And then have an individual person quietly make that terrible decision on their own. <laughs> And you're not being Pollyanna-esque about this. No. I mean, the data on this looks pretty good. The side effect profile looks really manageable. Yeah. We have to be honest with people. There's going to be side effects. You're probably going to have, you might, not everyone will, but there's a good chance you're going to have fevers, chills, some muscle aches, all that stuff. But man, that's a small price to pay to avoid this really awful disease. Maybe those mild symptoms will have to give people some empathy for all the people who are suffering with COVID and who are dying um, from COVID, you know? 
is a fear of mine though that people are going to get side effects and they're going to be really mad and be like, i was perfectly fine i had no i had no symptoms at all and now i have like a fever and chills i mean uh, the the shot gave me covid right. and and you're like well that's not that's kind of how it works i mean you have to have some effect that's what tells you it's working that's how you right. know this thing is working right i wonder um, if you're gonna have to sign paperwork that says you know people don't read paperwork as we know every time we consent someone but i wonder if you're gonna have to read and sign something before you get it i don't know i haven't been in the environment where people are taking it. I think that, you know, we're, we should be, feel lucky that as healthcare workers, we have the opportunity to get it. Totally. You know, I'm so excited to yeah. get it. So excited. Anyway, that was, uh, and I said it to a few different people out loud like that. And I um, think people getting back, took kindly to it. Getting back to your question. I think you, you handled that well. I mean, yeah. what else can you do other than take this as an opportunity to maybe teach? Cause like I said, some of these people are going to be on the fence just because rightfully so it's new. And yeah. it's weird. And then, then there's some people who have never taken vaccines who I think we could probably convince. Like, for example, remember Butch Escobar, the comedian that we had on? Yeah. He's, he's the kind of guy who never had vaccines in the past. He was kind of on that sort of like, it, I wouldn't call him an anti-vaxxer, but he, he was very skeptical of the government. He was one of these guys that was like prepping for end times. <laughs> and now he's at a place in his life where he's like, he, this whole experience has made him reevaluate a lot of things, including his position on the flu shot in the past. So yeah. I'm hoping there's going to be people like that as well going yeah. forward. So I'm, anyways. Well, for our listeners, you can all look forward probably in a couple weeks after Kaveh and I both get our vaccines, I'm going to give that guy a mullet. Oh yeah, that's air. right. We're going to live stream me oh, giving Kaveh a mullet after the both of us get vaccines. It's at least for like, you have to rock it for like at least a weekend. We'll do it on a Friday. I'll no, I'll keep it. If you do a good job with my mullet, I will. I think that's an oxymoron. A good job with a mullet, like, <laughs> isn't it? I actually, okay. So let me explain for our listeners who don't know. Basically, on Twitter, um, I promised to grow a mullet if we got a certain amount of listeners, a certain amount of followers, and so we reached that milestone. And now I am a man of my word. I will um, get a mullet going on. So. We'll make that happen. Um, and, and you know what? If we're going to do it live, we need more. I need more followers. We will do it oh. live if we get another <gasps> thousand followers. Whoa, you're I'm, throwing down, I'm throwing down that gauntlet in there. I'll do it either way. Okay. But if people want to see it live, okay. then we need another thousand followers. Okay, got it. Stay tuned, everyone. We have a great guest coming up. We have Dr. Craig Spencer. He is a really fascinating guy, an ER doctor in New York City. He's not only been someone who's battling on the front lines of COVID, but he's also experienced treating and being treated for Ebola in the past. Really has a unique perspective on what's happening. Um, so stay tuned. Thanks again to Nadim for help with production. Thank you to Lizzie. Thank you for everyone out there who is going to go get their vaccines when they can. God bless you guys. We're super happy that our ER friends are all getting it in ICU anesthesia friends. Please follow us on Twitter at The House of Pod. Also, Facebook and Instagram if that's your jam. Um, stay tuned.
and welcome back to the House of Pod. Today we have a very special guest. I know I say that a lot, but this one is pretty special. I think you will agree. His name is Dr. Craig Spencer. He is an associate professor and the director of global health in emergency medicine at New York Presbyterian Columbia University Medical Center. He is also a survivor of a contagious virus that you may have heard of called Ebola. So I think he may have a really interesting perspective on what's happening now. Dr. Spencer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for getting me on and convincing me that it was okay to drink a beer during this interview, which <laughs> only increased the likelihood that I would participate. Right. Yes, to all future fancy. guests, you can drink as much as you like. Yeah. <laughs> right. You've got a fancy like beer glass too. I like it. Oh, my, my like tulip. I, I'm a home brewer. I've been brewing beer. But with my first check from residency, I bought a, a banjo and a homebrew kit. Wow. Um, so wow. yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been, I've been doing medicine uh, as long as I've been brewing beer. So, will you wow. uh, play the banjo for us? I would, but the banjo is in my two-year-old's room, and I am not going to tempt fate. No, no, by no means. <laughs> sleep. Yeah, good. let yeah. them. Yes, yeah. yeah, especially after this last week, we had we had a big talk about you know her going to bed well because the week before she would just like run around in circles and jump up and down. So we had to talk about going to bed well and what that meant. And she's really she's a fast learner. That's she's also a fast wow. forgetter, so I don't want to. I don't want to screw that up. <laughs> Reasoning with a two-year-old that sounds maybe harder than being a global health doctor in emergency medicine. Can you tell um, us what that means about being um, specifically global health focused um, within the emergency medicine discipline? Like, what does that mean for us to let us know as doctors and what our listeners who might not be doctors know? Yeah, for sure. I it it really is it encompasses quite a bit. You know, it can mean anything from you know, working in emergency medicine internationally to try to set up emergency health systems, working on, you know, how do you set up trauma, referral capacity, and ambulances in places that have really never had those or don't have that capacity or don't know how to set those up. Um, or it can be something more like kind of international health or global health that is focused on neglected tropical diseases or more on advocacy and other policy. So it's a pretty broad uh, I think it's a pretty broad dis- description of what yeah. many of us do. Um, I've I've gone more towards kind of the advocacy work, providing direct clinical care, looking at you know how we measure unmeasured issues in in global health, especially looking at kind of access to health and um, human rights violations, especially with migrants. And that's become more of my focus in the past couple of years. But I've got a lot of friends that have done kind of the same training as myself that are good colleagues that are looking at. How do you set up a, an EMS referral uh, pathway in East Africa or in Ethiopia? So it's pretty broad, uh, but we're a pretty small knit community. Uh, I think doing pretty good work, especially in the EM world. Yeah. Well, that yeah. sort of ties into, I guess, my next question. I mean, we're dealing with COVID now, but you have some mm-hmm. experience dealing with incredibly terrifying contagious diseases. You contracted Ebola while you were working. What? Supposedly. Or maybe you're just taking a couple sick days. Um, I don't know. Alleged, um, allegedly. 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 Uh, uh, Ebola, while you were working with Doctors Without Borders, taking care of Ebola patients in, in yeah. uh, Guinea. Was that correct? Correct. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. Can, you, can you walk us through like, how you got your diagnosis? Like When you first developed symptoms, like what were your thoughts when you were first getting those symptoms? What, can you tell mm-hmm. us, walk us through that experience? Yeah. I mean, I guess really to even contextualize that, I should just say a little bit about what it was like taking care of patients themselves because, you know, it was 12, 14 hour days. It was, 
you know, pretty horrible. It was really the first time that I've kind of seen and almost kind of had to get used to multiple patients dying uh, on the same day. And, you know, I was surprised to see it there. I was obviously much more surprised to see it here in New York City earlier this year with COVID. But um, the days in Guinea were grueling. Um, I was only there for six weeks the first time around. And the guys I was working with had been there already for like six, seven, eight months working at least six, sometimes seven days a week in this like incredibly grueling environment. These were all local Guinean docs, ID docs, people that had been repurposed from their hospitals all over the country to kind of come to the epicenter and take care of Ebola patients. So, I mean, everything that I learned, I learned from these guys that had been in the trenches, taking care of hundreds of Ebola patients. Um, and I was lucky to, to work with them, but obviously in that process, seeing the toll that this virus could have on people, you know, they'd come in a little sick, a little febrile, and then, you know, in a couple of days would be super sick and, you know, on, on death's door and many people died. It was tough because it was old and young. It was family members. It was a disease of compassion. You know, we would see six or seven people from a family all come together on, you know, a couple motorcycles in the middle of the night that come from far away. Um, and, you know, to see the majority of that family die, but to be excited and happy when, you know, maybe one or two of them actually were able to walk out of the treatment center. It was, it, I mean, it, it's an experience that I, I think it's impossible to describe. So, you know, when I got home, um, I was pretty depressed and, and sad and exhausted. Um, and so, you know, when I went into the hospital, you know, thinking maybe this could be Ebola, maybe not, I, I don't really know. Um, I used my PPE, everything was great. Everyone else that I had worked with had been protected up until that point, but there's always a small risk. And at some point in taking care of Ebola patients, you know, I was infected. Um, and when I tested positive, you know, I don't, I don't know what I thought of other than, you know, the, the person I love the most, my, my, my wife, who was my fiance at that time, making sure that she hadn't been exposed, but, you know, we were smart. Um, we hadn't been together, um, you know, as soon as I had a fever. Um, I called the Department of Health and kind of took those public health precautions and did everything that we know works, yay science. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, no, it's like, you know, at that time it was before there were any treatments for Ebola. So it was really just, um, it was a coin flip and knowing what a lot of my patients had gone through definitely was in my mind. But I think I was just focused on, yeah, just getting better and had a really amazing team at Bellevue. Um, really, really amazing, incredible people that put themselves and put their lives on the line. To take care of me and other people. Yeah. You got back from getting your like sad, depressed, miserable, and then you get Ebola. Yeah. So that's just like icing on the cake. <laughs> I think that's like amazing. Story. Yeah. Did you when you yeah. when you think back and you know we have more questions about what happened with your course, but when you think back, where you're yeah. like, oh yeah, there was that one time where my glove broke or whatever, or I touched that patient that I didn't think had Ebola, but you don't, because I feel like whenever yeah. something terrible happens, we all rack our brains about. Totally. what the thing happened that triggered it, what event that yeah. um, turned the course of our lives, you know? No, I mean, the PPE that we used in West Africa was, you know, head to toe, multi-layer protection. We had a process for getting it on and we had a process for getting it off. Um, there was never any time that I was exposed or was worried that I'd been exposed, no breach in my PPE. Um, but I took care of, you know, the sickest people you could possibly imagine. You know, I remember one woman um, just vomited and defecated all over in her bed. And I was working with one of the nurses and we made sure to get her changed. And even though that every time we got her changed, she did the exact same thing. You know, we did it over and over and over again, seven or eight times because we wanted her to 
you know, be treated like a human, right? Like we wouldn't do that in the US. We wouldn't just be like, all right, well, you've, you know, shit on yourself three times. Sorry, I can't do this anymore. Like we would continue to treat people, you know, like they matter and like they were, you know, like they were our family members. And so we did that over and over and over. And maybe it was on, I don't know. Um, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. But that was, you know, that was her. That was nearly every patient. And at some point, um, I got infected with at least one virion and it slowly incubated. And, you know, I was lucky in that I fell ill when I was back in the US where access to critical care and high quality care was so much better than, you know, what we could provide in West Africa. You know, I was taking care of 30 patients per day with, you know, really severe Ebola. And when I was hospitalized in New York City, there were probably 30 providers on call just to take care of me. So, I mean, it's definitely a question of equity and, um, you know, access to resources and critical care. The death toll was so high there, not just because Ebola is such a horrible disease, it is, but because we didn't have access to the same tools that we have and we just right. take for granted here in the US. Right. Well, that must've been so terrifying. I mean, in, in so many ways, it's scarier for you to get it than anyone else because you've seen firsthand how much devastation that it can cause. It must've been absolutely terrifying. I'm so glad that you made it through that. Um, can you tell us about the treatment you got for that? Yeah, I, um, you know, it was my first foray into the wonderful world of convalescent plasma. So when I heard people months ago talking about convalescent plasma, what's the big deal? It's great. Let's just try it. Well, I got convalescent plasma and it did not work super well for me. Um, you know, it gave me uh, a reaction. I had to go on oxygen. It was short of breath. Um, I got a bunch of other, you know, hodgepodge. Maybe this will work. And if it doesn't work, it might cause cancer. You better sign on this dotted line kind of treatments. <laughs> None of which ultimately worked. I mean, I, I got hocus pocus. I think I got brinsendafavir and, um, you know, it was, it was weird, you know, obviously as someone that's, that works in the global health space, you know, the only thing I ever really think about, the biggest thing I ever think about is kind of equity and how do we provide the best care to the best level, um, regardless of where we're at or regardless who our patient is. Um, but I remember being in the hospital and this was long after, I don't know if you know, if you remember, this was like when the monoclonal antibodies were a, a big deal, ZMAP. Um, which was, you know, maybe this treatment for, for Ebola it was grown in tobacco leaves and there's not that many doses. And um, long after this was supposedly gone, um, I was offered a dose um, uh, that could be driven down to me, you know, long after it had apparently and supposedly disappeared from the face of the earth. And for me, it was tough because at that point I had already, you know, kind of plateaued and I knew that I was going to survive. But to know that this was still out there and potentially could be helpful, but not something that I had accessible when I was taking care of patients in West Africa, was yeah, it was it was really frustrating, you know. Yeah, that's um, a lot of guilt. I'm sure you felt. I mean, yeah. I don't think everyone yeah. would feel it, but I get the sense you felt it. Literally, it's survivor guilt. I mean, that's part of it, right? Like you saw so many people yeah. who didn't have the care that you had. Um, right. Yeah. Do you th- yeah, I mean, it's just it's just I guess it's just anger provoking because you know I mean especially at that time because. You know, if you remember, we were trying so hard to get people to go, but it was so hard, not just because some people didn't feel comfortable, which was completely fine. Like that's, everyone has their own level, I think, of kind of acceptable risk and people have family and underlying health conditions. Like they don't want to expose themselves, it's fine. But there were a lot of people that were willing to go, but institutionally, you know, academic medical centers and places in the U.S. were not supportive. They would not take that kind of that legal risk of what happens if one of our staff goes and helps out, but ultimately gets infected. You know, is that going to have an impact on 
our bottom line or the number of our patients who are willing to come get their elective calf if one of our providers you know went over to west africa um and it's i think that this unfortunately is one of the biggest and the most impactful lingering impacts of our inability and our unwillingness to send more providers to west africa in 2014 and 2015 is that in 2020 when we were dealt uh, a raw hand with covid no one had experience responding to pandemics or these really bad epidemic diseases. You know, how often do people here in the U.S. have to wear an N95 or worry about PPE, like when it really, really matters? Um, that's something we had to do every single day. We had to think about unidirectional flow models to decrease the risk of spread amongst our patients. We had to have PPE buddies, all these things that were just kind of second nature for people that had this experience in West Africa. No one had it here. And I think that's why we saw a lot of kind of chaos and a lot of people getting infected, healthcare providers getting infected really early on. So I think one of that big, unfortunate, long-term impacts of our unwillingness to respond in 2014, in addition to just not showing up when, when the world needed us, was that it really shorthanded us when, when COVID came around. So do you feel like, um, obviously you witnessed this two-tier or many-tier system between um, Ebola treatments and options between West Africa yeah. and here, but do you feel like having had Ebola and treating Ebola prior to that, that you were more prepared for this pandemic on a personal level? Or did you feel like oh, yeah. on a systemic level that you could implement what you've learned? Like, did you feel like you're more prepared than your colleagues? And, and how do you translate your experience into like, uh, to the ground? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I felt 100% more prepared because I'd had that experience. And again, early on in this pandemic, we knew that COVID wasn't Ebola, but we didn't know how bad it was. You know, a lot of us really early on saw, you know, 50 year olds who were healthy and really didn't have many other medical history, like just die. So we didn't know what impact it was going to have on us. We were all afraid, especially really early on. Uh, but the fact that I had worked in the middle of, you know, a, a big outbreak, I'd worked with really sick patients. I'd had that mental experience as well as that experience of like depending on PPE for my life. I think it's quite different than a lot of our providers um, that work in the U.S. and primarily and only in the U.S. that, that don't have to have, thankfully, that same experience. Um, it did prepare me personally and I think mentally, but it also helped me you know, share, I think, with my, my colleagues about how they can keep themselves safe, how they can make sure they have someone to be vulnerable with during those really hard times. Because, you know, the one thing that really builds up day after day after day is like, is today the day that I got infected? I don't know. I'm not going to know for another couple of days. And then those days like build up. And every single day where you have that worry is just another mental load that you carry around with you to the point where like it gets unbearable and it gets hard to take and you break down and you cry. And um, every day I had someone calling me crying and saying, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I'm doing. How do I, how do I manage this? And I was no better off um, you know, than them. Uh, other than that, I had had this experience and I could help them kind of talk through and talk about how I had managed it when I was in West Africa. Yeah, but were you like, I got a bowl and I survived, so like nothing can <laughs> hurt me now? Stop being a baby. Yeah. <laughs> no, by no means. I was, I was, I was, I was more afraid, right? Like yeah, you stop only get being to roll the dice once. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you only get to, yeah, it'd be, yeah, it would be just my luck to like survive Ebola and then like, you know, die from a uh, paronychia or something, you know? 
So. <laughs> you survive COVID, you survive Ebola, but somehow you get some like widely disseminated HSV. That would yeah. be the that would be the ultimate. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit. Let's let's talk more about COVID because you're in the middle. You're in New York. You're dealing with whatever. I, I don't even want to call this a second wave because I don't even know for sure if this is a second wave. Yeah. Number three now. Big wave. Or it's- or no, third wave, wave or just one big wave. wave with little ripples. But um, yeah. the, the thing that we were talking about at the top of the show was the vaccine coming out. Um, yep. do, you, do you know when you're getting the vaccine? I sure do. Tomorrow afternoon, right after my shift. Nice. How do you feel? Are you yeah, excited? I, I, I feel one million percent pumped and excited about this. You could jab me in the eye. I don't care. I'm so pumped about this. <laughs> we, I am, we said the yeah, same yeah. thing. That's what a, yeah, yeah. nurse I work with said the same thing to me. He's like, put it wherever you want. I'll take it. You know, <laughs> I was like, I've, you know, I've seen this. I've seen what it does. I am. I am not. Enough. And I just I tweeted out a little bit ago. I was like, you know what I'm going to do exactly right after I get my COVID vaccine? The exact same thing that I've been doing since March. I'm going to wear my mask. I'm going to take the exact same precautions. I am going to act like I've never been vaccinated, right. but be grateful that I am. Um, and I think that's an important message because sure, 95% efficacy is, is, is awesome. That still doesn't mean a hundred percent. And at the exact same time, like one setting a standard and, you know, continuing to do what we are asking and modeling for other people to do is super important. So yeah, tomorrow I will be vaccinated. It'll make me feel a little bit more at ease. Um, but I'll keep doing what I've been doing and been asking others to do. Yeah. yeah, you keep on being the same badass motherfucker you've always been. <laughs> That's good. Um, that was actually what I was going to ask you is if you think it would change your like approach to life in any way. But you know, honestly, for us, I I don't no. know. Other than making us feeling a little bit better about like you know just safety and and being around our families, our immediate families, then I don't think anything's going to no, change. No, I think I think what it's going to do for me is it's going to make me less afraid that I'm going to have to intubate a colleague. Right. Um, it's going to make me not have to experience what I had to experience in, in March and April, which was like seeing my colleagues extremely ill with COVID and feeling like I was going to have to intubate them. Um, yeah. That's not, you know, that's hopefully not going to happen. Um, that, that will change. And that'll be enough. I'm happy with that. If that's, if that's what the, if that's what the vaccine brings, I'm pumped for it. Bring it on. Yeah. Right in my yeah. eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right in the eyeball. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it works in there. Vitreous, we'll have to get an ophthalmologist on this show. <laughs> we'll we'll get Dr. Glockenflecken to come back on and and yeah. describe it. Um, so uh, we have a listener question. Um, so Great. Nina Saeed Ashraf. Y'all are really organized here. I just want to say that. Uh, does really it organized. does it seem that way? <laughs> you got you got fancy mics. You got listener yeah. questions. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah no, we're like semi pro. Um, give it, give it like five minutes. Yeah, don't don't worry. We'll devolve <laughs> into madness soon. Yeah. Um, so Mina Saeed Ashraf, she says, beyond mask and washing hands, staying home, how can we best support medical folks? How can we help lift the emotional burden and burnout? How do we help restore some faith in humanity? It's a big question, multi parts. But basically, yeah. what can the non medical world do to help support? the medical community? It's a good question. I got a question like this the other day. Um, and I think someone was like, you know, uh, do you, do you, how, how do you feel about people saying that a lot, you know, it's been so tough to be in lockdown. It's been so tough to be at home. How do you feel about people complaining about how tough it's been for them versus how tough it's been for you, healthcare providers? And I think obviously 
they were insinuating like it's been way tougher for healthcare providers than someone that has to stay at home and you know play PS2 and eat cookies or whatever. I don't know what other people are doing. Um, but my response was like, honestly, yeah, this has been tough seeing my patients and my colleagues sick has been tough. But like, I go into work all the time and I get to see and hang out with my friends. I get to see some of my best friends for like 12 hour shifts. Um, I get to interact with others. I get to kind of like, you know, walk in the community on my way to work. Like this has been tough for me, but in many senses, it hasn't been as tough for me as it has been for many people that are not in healthcare. So I totally get the burden. I understand how hard it's been. I understand that the messaging has been mixed and hasn't been super clear from the beginning. Um, but really what I think we need people to do is one, be vigilant, but continue to be empathetic. You know, obviously trusting good sources, not your aunt's Facebook page are like first step critical. Um, viral misinformation is probably the greatest public health threat that we face in COVID and, and otherwise. Um, it's not too exciting and it's kind of boring, but yeah, wearing your mask is super important. Um, keeping your distance is super important when you can. Please don't eat in restaurants. Support restaurants in every possible way that you can. Order more food than you could possibly eat from them and, mm-hmm. uh, and tip them extremely well. Yeah. Um, this has been super tough on, on so many different communities. Um, but at the same time, like, just keep doing the boring stuff that, that we ask of you. It doesn't have to be crazy. Stay out of indoor spaces if you can. Um, be in well-ventilated areas if you can. The same stuff you've been hearing all along. It turns out it's really effective, even if it's kind of boring and repetitive public health advice. If you all do that, you will be doing as much, if not more, than the people that are taking care of patients to help right. out in this pandemic. Right on. When the vaccine comes out, get it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just some basic yeah. things. And, you know, Biden said, um, President-elect Biden <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um, that the first 100 days in office, he'll ask for 100 days of mask wearing um, and not doing the whole federal mask mandate. I think that's obviously yeah. a very deliberate decision. But what would you right. like to see? Um, what kind of changes do you want to see with this administration? Because you mentioned the mixed messages, which like us doctors who are going to work every day, and we're grateful that yeah. we do have a job to go to. We do have a commute. We yeah. do have human interactions. We obviously, just like the person who's stuck at home not doing anything, we're all super pissed at the mixed messaging. But hopefully now totally. there will be better messaging. But science, like we all say all the time, changes. So the messaging might yeah. change. So what do you want to see from the next administration? I think I've already started to see these steps, right? Like we put the CDC and the FDA back out front. I'm not nearly as concerned now that once something gets published in the CDC MMWR or gets passed for an emergency use authorization by the FDA, even though the transition hasn't been completed, like I don't have the same level of worry that the thumb of politics has you know, been put on this in place of public health. Um, and I think that that is key. So even just elevating those you know, trusted public health voices that should have been out front all along, should have been the ones leading these briefings, should have been talking to the American public. That's step number one. And I think that that's already happening. It's the promise that's happening. This administration said, you know, we're gonna, we're, the incoming administration said, we're gonna listen to science. And, you know, obviously part of that is a political statement, but I, I know a lot of the people on the transition. I know Ron Klain, um, who is Biden's chief of staff and was the Ebola czar. Um, and I've spoken with him and I've spoken with others and know that, you know, they're going to do whatever they can to implement the, you know, the public health protocols and policies necessary to get this pandemic under control. Obviously, and we need more testing. It's crazy 
um, that we're at this point where I'm like, I'm on a daily basis. I get calls from people who are like, Hey, how do I get tested? If I go to this place, it's going to be seven days to get a result back, which is completely useless. Um, I get people from across the country like, Hey, do you know anyone that's out here that can help me get a test? Like, I don't care if we're doing more tests than anywhere in the world. Like we're not doing nearly enough. Um, so I would step that up. I would do more at home testing. Um, I think we need to have um, policy that supports the public health measures we're asking people to take. The fact that, you know, people are going to lose their unemployment um, benefits here in a couple of weeks. Um, you're right. We're lucky in that we're continued to be employed and I don't have to worry about that, but I can't imagine what it's like for millions of people who are basically on a cliff and worried about losing their home, losing their livelihoods, all these other things that, um, that just shouldn't have to happen. And so many other places haven't been a concern for so many people. Like we need to find a way to get money to people so that they're not deathly afraid of losing their job more than they are of getting, you know, severe COVID. Um, and I, I, all, again, all these things sound promising and I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that this incoming administration will put these things in place. Um, obviously there's still a lot more to be seen, but quite frankly, anything is going to be better than the disaster that we just watched over the past, you know, nine months. Yeah. I hope the NHL can come back. That will really help everyone. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. You talk about like as testing. Long as, as, as long as the Blue Angels still do flyovers, I'm a okay. Everything is fine. <laughs> yeah. That's all that Passed matters. Up, of me. course. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, Dr. Spencer, thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Know you're busy. Also, know how difficult it is to do your job which is emotionally and physically draining and then come home and have to try and put a two-year-old to bed i also understand yeah. that. and I then do a podcast <laughs> yo and then come on and do oh, a this podcast. is this is the fun easy part this is the great part yeah this no, y'all is not were so incredibly bad. persistent which i uh, which i appreciate to everyone anyone out there that wants to get things done please be persistent so uh yeah no thank you for coming on it did take me a while no. to uh pin him down lizzie you have no idea i no, didn't I know wiley he's wiley yeah but we got him thank I'm you so wiley. much man. it's just it's you know it's a teaching it's a clinical work i'm on the board of of msf and i got a two-year-old and um it's been wild for everybody um, it's definitely been wild in the spencer household so no man thanks we really find a time to talk with me and let me drink a beer we really MSF, appreciate it. Doctors Without Borders. People don't know that's that. Right. But oh, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. Borders. What is it? Uh, Medicine Sans Frontières. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Your French is good. It's just like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nasal yeah. voice, it helps. Super <laughs> bon. Super cool. Huh? Bon, bon. Okay. Hey, thank you, Dr. Spencer. Really do appreciate your time. And thank you for, for coming on the show. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Um, have, have a good time with your vaccine. Um, thanks i'm oh, really excited know. if you yeah. post a yeah, picture with your band-aid i want to be tagged in it online tell us listen i'm gonna make it happen tell, tell our listen. listeners where they can follow you find you etc um i'm on the twitter sphere at uh i actually never talked about it so i don't know how to say craig underscore a underscore spencer um and i'm also on the instagram at the same and i'm not on facebook because i think it's quite devilish mm -hmm. and what else do i do I think that's about it. Every once in a while, you know, send out like a like a bat call. Yeah, mm -hmm. you'll yeah. see them on CNN no. or MSNBC or oh, whatever. Yeah, sometimes you'll see I, them I go on, on TV. Stuff. Wait, sometimes are they going to the right video? Things. Are they going to video you tomorrow getting the vaccine? Is it going to be like a media thing or no? Um, that had been talked about, but honestly, I just feel like the optics of a middle-aged white male doc <laughs> getting vaccinated is probably not what. It is. It's probably I mean, been done. I mean, it's, it's been good. Done. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, but not like on. I mean, no, no I mean, Fauci I, did I it. You don't need to do it. He covered yeah, it. Yeah, Fauci. Yeah, 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 we got yeah. it. Fauci's yeah. good. We're good. No, but I, I'll, I'll definitely post about my experience, and um, I'll let people know. I, I made a video a couple of days ago, uh, like I said, talking about how I think it's safe, and I'm excited to get it, and I will continue to do the same because I think it's super important. I know people have a lot of concerns. People have worries. Um, I know people are like, "Oh man, this vaccine is new. I don't know about that." And everyone I know that works in healthcare is like. Give me the damn vaccine, put it here, 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 wherever it's got to be. Because I'm sick of seeing COVID. I'm sick of worrying about COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be done. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Thank, thank you so you, much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. If you have a picture that you like for us to use for promotion, please uh, send it to me. Sure, sure, sure. If you want one where I'm looking chiseled and handsome with dimples you can swim in, something oh, in my abs. Or were you I don't think you Definitely have another abs. option. I think that's the only option for you. <laughs> this podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified healthcare provider for your specific healthcare needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.